the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, October 23rd. Here's the agenda for today. I'm going to run through a pulse check on some of the notable quarterback contracts, really the biggest 12 we have on the books right now. Where do their teams currently stand? Where do these players currently reside in terms of our eye test, our smell test, and more importantly, our contract test? And then Dan Solman joins me. As mentioned, plenty of baseball to get to. We have a option discussion, a good one. Um, that's generally the first order of business for Major League Baseball franchises. As when the offseason begins, there's about, I don't know, three dozen or so options sitting out there, player options, club options mutual options, many with buyouts, many with tough decisions. And uh, as Dan will note in our segment here, this is sort of the the eye test for what you think your team might do the rest of this winter. All right. So if the Cubs bring back Cody Bellinger, what does that mean? Right. If Marcus Stroman opts in in Chicago, what does that mean? It's generally step one and a really good way to gauge what a team is thinking or what players are thinking with that team to finish off the rest of the winter. So that's the back end of this conversation. Major League Baseball options, some notable names with Cousin Dan. Let's get to the quarterbacks. It's been a rough start for the young quarterbacks, not named C.J. Stroud. And certainly they're not going to make this list on their nice fancy rookie contracts that even when they're bad, hold a ton of value, right? It's really not that much of a risk anymore for any team to go through three or four years of fully guaranteed rookie contract scales at the quarterback position. So we're going to leave that conversation aside for now. I promise you we will get to that at some point this season when we have a better picture. It's been kind of a bounce around type year. Richardson's already out. Bryce has missed some games. Stroud appears to be the easy leader in that clubhouse. But let's talk about the veterans. Um, 12 quarterback contracts, what it means for the team, what the team's situation might mean for that quarterback. Starting with Mahomes. Kind of the easiest one on this list. He just got the restructure. It moved about $44 million of cash from the back to the front. That's all you need to know. I mean, he's doing everything they're asking him to do. The team is cooking, even without big, big, big names contributing outside of Travis Kelsey. They're getting the Pacheco games. They haven't even gotten a McKinnon game. They brought back McCole Hardman. He ripped off an unbelievable return yesterday. It just feels like whatever concerns we had with this roster, they're going to be able to iron them out. And if not, maybe they'll be swinging big in in the next eight days of the trade deadline. Um, They did have an injury on the defensive side of the ball yesterday. Any kind of injury this time of year has to be at least in consideration for a trade deadline replacement. So it's possible that there is some rife inside that locker room that needs to be ironed out. And they can do so with some new bodies. But uh, from a home standpoint, he is the odds-on favorite to win the MVP. And contractually speaking, he's fully guaranteed through 2024 now and $33 million guaranteed through 2025. And everybody's just fine with that. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no issues. Good on both sides for restructuring this thing. And he's certainly benefiting from it. Joe Burrow, slow start, injured start. We've heard that before. We've had to deal with this before. Here's the thing. The contract's great. All right. It's uh it's fully guaranteed through 2025 right now. So three full seasons. And 2026 and 2027 hold early triggers, which means they're gonna get there unless disaster strikes. But it's only week seven 
since he has the bye this week, so we can consider them week eight right, right now. And their playoff chances are at around 30%. So that slow start and, and Burrow's health issues may have been a nail in a coffin for this team this year. You know, it's been a weird AFC. Buffalo is sliding back a little bit. Pittsburgh's certainly out kicking their coverage. Since he might be the odd man out. And uh, and that's unfortunate because you know this is how this team seems to operate. They're kind of like Derrick Henry in fantasy world, right? It's going to be three or four to five, six weeks of kind of where the hell is he? And then they show up and run the table. I, I imagine since he's going to look to do that because they looked outstanding in week six. But again, percentage-wise, mathematic-wise, it may be too little too late. I, I think they're going to make the run. But I wanted to get it out there that, you know, in Burrow's season one here of this big, big contract, not having the playoffs would be a devastating loss. Is certainly when uh, things only get more expensive on that contract. Let's put it that way. Speaking of which, Justin Herbert. It's 133 guaranteed through 25. It's similar to Burrow in that regard. Um, he's got early triggers in 2026, 2027, and 2028. So the numbers kind of look the same, right? Burrow at 219 practically guaranteed. Herbert at 218, but Herbert actually got an extra year to spread that out, which the Chargers certainly wanted. Good for Burrow to kind of truncate his a little bit, but means it's a little tougher for Herbert to get out is, is unfortunately what that means for him. And his Chargers are what? Two and four now? Two and five now? Sliding down this thing? I mean, the division's gone. Kansas City has already run away with that. They're at about 10% chance to make this playoffs. So... Looks like another wasted year. Uh, Herbert's been above average, but not elite. You know, he's made some bad plays, a couple of bad picks yesterday. Uh, I'm I'm not waffling on this guy because I love everything that he that he brings. But you know, this is this is as good a contract as we've seen Super Bowl quarterbacks get in terms of Burrow and Mahomes and and Lamar and all those players. So he's up there financially speaking, and his team and and subsequent. Only him have sort of crumbled around it. Probably means he's going to have to deal with a whole other offense, probably a new head coach. This is the kind of thing that really, you know, weighs heavily on a great quarterback. If he has to continually relearn something, start from scratch, never get comfortable, never get consistency. Um, it's just a weird outlook for a player that has a hell of a lot of money sitting ahead of him and a team that knows moving on from the quarterback is impossible right now. So everything else has to change around it. That's a really tough place to be, but that's where we find the Chargers, and they've uh, they've been this team for a while now. Speaking of Lamar, he's now third in MVP. That's probably going to change maybe in the next couple of days here after he's looked just lights out the past two or three weeks, and certainly in week seven against a good Detroit defense. That five for 260 looks like value right now, if it's possible for $260 million to look like value. There's $208 million guaranteed through 2026. Um, he, he's got some early triggers, but for the most part, this thing is rock solid. You knew it was going to be with the holdout, with the leverage, with the tag. He, uh, he played his cards right, and karma is a very nice thing. And he is repaying that team for not giving up on him, for, not, for truly basically telling other teams, don't even consider trading for me, our quarterback, because we're going to make this work one way or another. That's essentially what happened here. And... All is well, okay? All is well. They can feel comfortable about cap conversions and everything they need to do to make sure this is a friendly deal to continue to build. But look what happens when you give Lamar a few wide receiver weapons, all right? We kind of bagged on the Nelson Aguilar move 
early in March. And they backed it up with Beckham Jr. and Zay Flowers and a whole bunch more. And they've even made this J.K. Dobbins situation work out with some plug-and-play running backs that have been excellent. Justin, Justice Hill finally found his legs. Gus Edwards remains relevant. It's really good to be Lamar Jackson right now, and the contract concurs. Josh Allen, I'm going to say this first. Buffalo's still getting a steal on this contract. Right? This is an eight-year, $284 million contract, all things considered, right? When you factor in what existed plus the extension. All right, to have this player at around $30 million a year for eight years, which is what the adjusted APY is, it's just value. All right, yep, he looks weird. There's probably a shoulder problem. There's definitely a lack of weapon problem. There's unquestionably a mental block right now with Josh Allen that is basically saying, Stefan Diggs is my only target, okay? And yes, he unlocked Dalton Kincaid a little bit yesterday, but Gabe Davis got one play. It was five yards away from him. And I don't think Josh Allen ever looked at him again. So there's clearly a breakdown in how Josh Allen is running this offense and his consistency and his accuracy as well. All said, here's what the contract says. I'm in no way saying that Josh Allen should be considered with any kind of out on this contract, but it's kind of my job to, to, to bring that to the light when necessary. He's fully guaranteed to 2024. He's half guaranteed in 2025. That's 55 million total right now. And another 10 million of that will lock in next March. So 65 million for the next two seasons, basically good as gold. Here's the thing, unlike all these other quarterbacks. After that, there's an absolute world where Buffalo can start to at least consider things. All right. So after 2025, two more seasons, Josh Allen's contract has no early guarantees, really no cap hits that are daunting enough to where they have to say, ah, there's no way we can move off of that. In other words, if things continue to kind of crumble brick by brick here, and it gets to a point where what are we doing paying all these defensive players when we're not getting the kind of you know wins and playoff wins and Super Bowl contention window that we thought we were in? Two more seasons, and they can really start to think about not being in this contract anymore. It's not relevant yet. You know, it's it's not right to be reacting this way in week seven with any quarterback, truly. But just just so it's out there, there's two more years of rock solid Josh Allen contract left. And then Buffalo sort of takes over in terms of having the ability to maneuver. I have that ability with Jalen Hurts, nor need that ability with Jalen Hurts. He is locked in through 2027, fully guaranteed through 2026 right now. And 2027 will lock in in a couple of off seasons. He's, this is the top team in the NFC right now, uh, kind of heavily. And Jalen Hurts is a top three MVP candidate. I don't know what else you need to know. It's Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Jalen Hurts. Those are your breadwinners in terms of MVP candidacy. And all are doing very well contractually as well. Russell Wilson in Denver. Um, disclaimer up front. Russell Wilson is not Denver's biggest problem right now. Kind of hardly. In fact, he's had a better 2023 than 2022 by quite a lot. His passer rating is at about 100. He's made some dumb decisions and he's not a you know, finish the game off type player anymore. Maybe he never was. But there are a lot more problems in Denver than Russell Wilson. With that said, I just need to remind people because it sits in the back of my head constantly. This could be the end of Russell Wilson's contract. This could be one year, 27 million, and then free agency for Russell Wilson if Denver had done nothing. 
Now, would, would Wilson have held out for a new contract this past offseason? I don't know. Not after the season he had, right? And hindsight is always 2020. But that one always felt like, why didn't you just wait a year? Every other team waits a year. Every other team says, we're going to give up a massive trade compensation to bring this player in. And then we're going to give it a year to percolate. And then we're going to sign him. I know. I've said this 17 times on this show. But we're here. We're still in the window where Russ could be on his previous contract still in 2023. It could be one for 27 and walking into free agency. And instead, he's making 28 million this year and 39 million next year is fully guaranteed. And another 37 million will lock in next March 17th. I'll say it again. He's not the problem. But does Denver want to deal with this for two more full seasons? I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, he's going to make his 39 million next year, no matter what. It's already fully guaranteed. Can they find a February trade partner that they can process the trade before everything else happens? Maybe. Maybe somebody wants to take on 76 million for two years of Russell Wilson, which is what it would be. I'm not positive. The most likely thing is he's here through 2025. That's the most likely outcome. Um, and Denver's just going to have to quickly try to rebuild this thing on the fly. And that may involve trading some really nice players to get younger and hope that you can hit lightning in a bottle with a bunch of draft picks and some UDFAs and Russell Wilson. It's not the best strategy, but the other strategy is you let him finish off the season and you pay him his $39 million to walk away. And you take on a gigantic dead cap hit to do it before that March 17th 2025 vest kicks in. It's crazy. Denver has crazy money in the bank. And if Denver really wants to rip this bandaid off and tank, right, and trade Jerry Judy and do all the things, trade Patrick Sertan before he needs a contract, if that's the route they decide to go, then trading, then releasing Russell Wilson and paying him $39 million to walk away is probably the best option. We'll see. It's a it's an unbelievably polarizing situation. And again, he's not the, I don't think he's one of their top three problems right now. His contract is, but I'm not sure he is on the field. Kyler Murray, speaking of which, still rehabbing, still trying to get back from that knee injury last year. Um, you know, there's a small world where the same exact conversation happens. All right. He's got 35 million fully guaranteed in 2024. After that, after that, after everything kind of kicks in next March, right? It's early vesting triggers all the way through 2027. So there's sort of like this weird little out where they could do the same thing I just mentioned with Wilson, pay him his 35 million or find a trade partner. I don't know if that's possible. Why not, you know, pay him his 35 million to go away and make sure that the rest of the contract doesn't trigger. I don't think they're going to get there. You know, the Josh Jobs stuff is fun. They're probably not going to be bad enough to be in the Caleb Williams, Drake May, Sanders conversation. But in my book, Kyler Murray's here. He's going to lock in another $40 million next March. He's going to continue to lock in. And until further notice, this contract says he's their quarterback through 2027. So I, I know there's not a lot of grasp right now because of the injury, because of the language, the attitude issues, whatever you want to bring in, you know, the off-field stuff, whatever you want to bring into this, the contract's rock solid. I've been saying this for a long time. And the only out is to do what I just mentioned with Russell Wilson, which is to basically buy out 2024 and just cancel this contract immediately. That seems extremely unlikely, but 
you know, it's the NFL and there's money everywhere. Speaking of which, <laughs> the real reason I wanted to have this conversation, Deshaun Watson, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to do what a lot of other people ha have been doing and maybe rightfully so, which is saying this guy is kind of floating through the universe right now, you know, and every little injury becomes the biggest injury ever. And he's not going to be, you know, he's not really putting in a max effort. And oh, by the way, when he does go out there, he looks lackluster and he's nowhere near the quarterback he used to be. That I'll agree with. And I will combine that conversation with the money remaining. And you can say I'm beating a dead horse. Great. This, this entire contract is in a room over here, hiding away from every other contract. Whenever somebody needs a contract and there's a negotiation, you can't even look. You can't even open the door to Deshaun Watson to try to say, well, yeah, but that contract exists. Nobody wants to hear it. All right? I don't use it in my evaluations. I'm sure agents try, but teams will say, no, no, no. We don't honor that contract. Okay, <laughs> You want to talk contracts? Let's talk Mahomes. Let's talk Herbert. Let's talk Burrow. All right, those are the real NFL contracts that we're willing to, to, to play ball with. All right, this whole situation is awkward from how we got here to why we got here to what the contract looks like to now what might happen if Cleveland doesn't even want this guy to be their, his court, their quarterback because I feel like we're heading down that road and it's not hyperbole. There's 138.6 million remaining right now from week eight this year through the next three seasons. It's all fully guaranteed. Just 100%, whatever happens, 138.6 million is going to Deshaun Watson. If you think they can just trade him after this year, there's 138 million cash left, which would transfer to the new team. Three years, 138 million. So you got to find somebody who wants that on their books. That's the hard part. And then maybe just as hard is you have to deal with 63 million of dead cap from the, bon the signing bonus and the cap conversions you placed on this thing. So could you, could you do a April trade or excuse me, a, a, a mid-June trade after the draft to do, to do this post-June 1st to split up that dead cap? Yeah, but you're carrying his gigantic cap hit then through free agency, through the draft, through the offseason, just to get yourself to that point, unless you're paying down some of 2024 salary just to move him off the roster. If you're lost and you think I'm just spinning my wheels, you're right. This is an unbelievably complicated situation, unless you just put it this way. Deshaun Watson's going to make $139 more million from this thing, no matter what. And most likely, it's going to come from Cleveland, and he may be a backup quarterback at some point in time. That's just the reality of this thing. All right? Uh, the injury stuff, the effort stuff. Maybe his, his inability to get back to elite status or above average status, it's all a real thing. And then the contract's sitting over there in the room with the door closed. So we can throw out all the options we can. And I've given you a few here. He's going to be on this roster next year. It's going to be $46 million guaranteed. They're going to cap convert his salary so that they can fit in the rest of this phenomenal defense, maybe replace Nick Chubb, et cetera, et cetera. Extend Amari Cooper, right? This team's ticking. All right, they're still winning without him. But this contract's going nowhere. Daniel Jones, four for 160, was never four for 160. It was always two for 82 until otherwise noted. He's fully guaranteed 36 million next year. Everything thereafter is pay as you go. So Giants fans can hate it, but at least it's not Deshaun Watson. Matthew Stafford, boy, this situation really calmed down. You know, we had a lot of discussions about are the Rams going to implode? Is McVay going to retire? Is Aaron Donald going to walk away? Is Stafford ever? 
we're going to be fully healthy enough to play quarterback again. Everything's fine. Okay. No, he's not 30 year old Matt Stafford or 25 year old Matt Stafford, but he is Matthew Stafford, mid thirties, really smart, competent, intelligent quarterback, fully guaranteed through 2024 at 31 million. There's another 10 million in 2025. That's going to lock in. That could be a buyout if they need to, they do that quite a bit and the Rams organization. So for all intents and purposes, they're good with them this year. They're going to be good with them through next year. And then March of 2025 is, is, a where, is a where are we right now as the Rams organization? Where's Aaron Donald? Where's Cooper Cup? Where's Sean McVay? Where's some of these young guys? Should Matthew Stafford continue to be our guy or do we have to look elsewhere? But at least one more really strong, fully guaranteed season here. And finally, I only did 12 so I can get to this guy. Because Dak is really a story, and it's a developing story more and more every week. We know he's entering the final year in 2024. Right? There's one more season left in this contract. What do we do with this thing? All right, that's inconsequential. I mean, Dallas could pay that and still move on from him at that point in time. That's really a a flash in the pan at this point in time. Here's what I did because I think these two have been kind of linked, joined at the hips now for a long time. There's two ways this can go. I mean, there's a trade, I guess. I'm not going to go there. But let's just talk contract. Dallas can give him the 2023 Kirk Cousins treatment, which is, we're not going to extend you, but we're just going to convert that gigantic salary into a bonus, lower the cap hit, but remain keep you on an expiring contract because we just want to see how 2024 works out. It's not the best strategy, but Minnesota is kind of seeing what happens when you do that, right? They have given themselves the ability, if they need to, to rip this Band-Aid off next year. They're a worse team than they were last year, as expected. They may be a very bad team in a couple of weeks with this Justin Jefferson injury. And not having any money on the books from Kirk Cousins is probably a good thing for them right now. So does Dallas believe that their roster is sustainable for a few more seasons? Or does Dallas think at some point in time, they're going to look like this Minnesota team and slow playing the quarterback thing might be their best plan. If not, then do they go the 2018 through 2022 Kirk Cousins treatment, which is let's give him a two-year extension, fully guaranteed, lower this cap in for 2024, but also not put too much on the books in 2025, six, seven, eight, that can hurt us for a long time as a franchise. I'm just going to warn you one thing. That probably sounds great, you know, and I think Minnesota has benefit from doing that. That is not Dallas, okay? That is not what Dallas does even in 2023 and on. They love long-term sustainable contracts that they have control over. It's a power thing. They want power over these players and having them under contract gives the team power. So while that may be the best option in my head, I cannot see Jerry Jones saying, yeah, Dak, let's just throw, let's just throw another 85 million on this thing fully guaranteed. Tack it on to what you're making next year. And uh, you know, you'll make some money. We'll all be good. We'll lower the cap hit. We'll be able to bring back CD lamb on a nice contract and all that good stuff. It's probably the best move. All right. But I'm telling you right now, the most likely thing is that Dak plays well. Dallas kind of holds the fort down, slips into a wild card spot in the postseason. 
looks just like the Cowboys have for the past eight years. And we continue to beat our head against the door. And next February, they announce a four-year, 100 or $200 million extension for Dak Prescott. $50 million per year, $175 million fully guaranteed, whatever it's going to be. You know, Basically, a cap-adjusted version of what he just signed at four for 160 back in 2021. So that's probably the most likely option because that's how the Cowboys do business. But you want to tell me they give him either of those two Kirk Cousins treatments? I think it's smarter business. I think it's I think it's a better way to operate if you believe that that offensive line is going to have some turnover soon, and I think it's gonna it's getting it's getting aged out and priced out. If you believe you're not going to be able to keep everybody in the, in the, in the room at the same time, right? Is Ceedee Lamb going to be happy with something subpar of what AJ Brown just got? No, he's going to need to go closer to thirty million a year. Micah Parsons will need a contract in 2025. Okay, everything's going to be going to start to add on quickly. Can you keep enough depth on this roster if you sign Dak to essentially 180 million fully guaranteed? It's probably what they're thinking, but buyer beware, I'm saying. And by the way, this is a real conversation with Dak Prescott. Right? I'm, not like in, I'm not like injecting a Dallas Cowboys conversation just for ratings. This is actually one of the most interesting things that I'm going to be watching over the next 11 weeks. And Probably straight through because all this, all the Dak Prescott stuff has taken forever. This happened with Drew Brees. All right. I would pr- predict something. And then 18 months later, I'd be predicting something or the same thing because nothing has happened. In fact, Drew, Drew Brees, a couple of times, actually became a free agent because of how long it took for them to actually. Dak has been there. All right. They had to franchise tag Dak a second time just to keep him under control so that they can extend him on this four for 160. All right. It feels like that kind of a scenario and the back and forth. And maybe there's a lot of indecision. Maybe there's a lot of butting heads in that front office that don't exactly know how to proceed. And if they thought it was tough three years ago in 2021, it's going to be even tougher now because Micah Parsons is looking at Nick Bosa, Bosa's contract and then some CD Lamb is looking at Maybe Justin Jefferson's contract, but for sure it's you know AJ Brown and, and the likes of those players, and then some. And the list goes on. They've already signed a few players this offseason as well. So how they handle Dak over the next few months and then obviously few years is gonna be franchise changing. And again, will they change their philosophy a little bit to sort of tuck this thing into two, three years instead of trying to get as much term as possible, which can be devastating, as I've talked about with this Russ contract and possibly a Kyler contract. And certainly, you know, it's trending toward an issue with Justin Herbert and the Chargers who feel like they have to turn a lot of things over there and make themselves competitive in that division. All right, let's talk some baseball with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, we're down to the final four. Major League Baseball quickly could be down to the final two here. Um, and then it it amps up quickly, right? I mean, the... Uh, the offseason kind of hits us in the face for a couple of weeks and then it goes away for two months and then it comes back in February and we have to work our butts off to uh, align these rosters for the 2024 season. But the first kind of order of business as teams identify what their 40 man is going to look like and the rule five stuff gets hashed out. And I know that's uh, where your head's going to be here through Thanksgiving. But there's options, right? There's player options, there's club options, there's mutual options for 2024 that have to be decided on before these 40-man rosters are finalized and the teams can officially sort of 
start the idea of adding and subtracting next offseason. Uh, you and I kind of collectively put together a piece for spotrate.com that details every single option that exists for 2024. Uh, some thoughts on it, what we think could happen, the projected valuation for that player in comparison to what the option is for 2024. Um, and I know you've uh, you've been kind of living in this world for a bunch of weeks now. So I've asked you to pull out kind of your greatest hits of these options to discuss here. And it's some big names, right? It's not just a, uh, you know, a manufactured list of Major League Baseball players that pl- people aren't going to know about. There's some real thoughts that have to go into this, especially when it comes to the player opt-out part of it, which I think is going to become more prevalent with some of these bigger contracts. But um, I'm going to let you drive, take over, and uh, let's talk talk some of these out and sort of predict the outcomes. Well, yeah. Um, like you said, there's some interesting ones. I don't think there's um, like any franchise-altering decisions here specifically, but there's a lot of um, stuff we can mm-hmm. kind of see um, going forward. How I like to use these specifically, like I said, these aren't like the sexiest names. Some people might be like, why are you even talking about these? But I think... Um, like you laid out, this is one of the first steps of the offseason process, if you will. This can sort of give us some signal towards um, what we might see in the following weeks and months um, to come in the offseason. Um, I think the biggest one, like we should probably talk about off the top, is Detroit, right? Um, they have two players, actually the only two players with player opt-outs. Um, we just Just to clarify, we classify that as a multi-year opt-out in terms of a player who has control over multiple years of a contract versus um, just a player option, which we, we consider, um, you know, for labeling purposes in our system, et cetera. um, We consider that a player option, a one year player option. So um, Javier Baez, Eduardo Rodriguez, both have multi-year player options or player opt-outs. I I just uh, stepped (laughs) on what I explained. Um, Baez can opt out of four years, almost 100 mil, um, 98 mil to be exact. Um, Rodriguez is three years, 49 mil, almost 50 mil. Um, I know we've we kind of talked about this even coming into the year um, that these two would be a, a pretty big yeah. point of uh, discussion at this point in the season. And that kind of has borne out, really. I, but unfortunately, I don't think we got a whole lot of clarity. If anything, I think both of these situations um, are a little bit more confusing than even uh, six or eight months ago. So, <clears throat> I don't even know who this team is. Like, I, I, I think there's a world where they, where their coach may resign, you know, and, and join one of these better contenders who might be moving on from a, from a manager. Eduardo uh, Rodriguez punted on going to the Dodgers because he, we think he liked being a pitcher for the Tigers and may work out some sort of restructured contract there. I I, I have so all of their young players underperformed this year. So I feel like we have no clarity on if this team can be good in two or three years, you know, you'd be a better candidate to answer that than me, but I I feel completely lost with this franchise. So to take on two massive player opt-out situations that could turn into long-term extensions, it feels like the last piece of the puzzle for Detroit, but it has to be the first. So it's super interesting. Yeah. And a huge part of this. Um, so back to my earlier point is new GM here. We're going to yeah. see, we're going to see some of their intentions here and how they want to operate going forward. Now, in my opinion, 
these contracts were signed prior regime in terms mm. of the context of their of their of the team situation Detroit thought they were sort of ramping up, preparing to kind of um, accelerate their contention window, if you will, signed both of those guys. Things have not yeah. played out that way over the last two seasons. So in comes a new general manager who probably has, a, in my opinion, he's going to he's gonna take this time to sort of reassess, retool, and take a half step back and and make some hard decisions within the, in the organization. I at least think that's the smart thing they should do here. Now, the counterpoint to that is that he doesn't have the option on these players. Both right. of the players control um, control their destiny here. So in my opinion, though, let's start with Rodriguez. So he, as you laid out, he, de- he um, denied a trade to – he declined a trade to the Dodgers. At the time, it was reported that he, it was for family-related situations. Now, the, what complicates this is he missed a ton of time in 2022 with what was called family a family situation mm. where he was away from the team. So in my perspective, I, I think a lot of people are saying – pointing to like his his decline trade to LA saying well maybe he wants to stay in Detroit I think maybe he just didn't want to uproot his life for a couple of months ahead of impending free agency but again there's a ton of speculation within that but me personally I'm projecting he opts out of this for or mm-hmm. like you laid out re, re does like a renegotiated multi-year deal which gets him paid closer to his actual um, market value which we have around 20 mil a year. Right. So, um, I, I, I don't, it, that one's really hard to read into and I probably am reading too much into it as is with the family stuff, but that one is definitely TBD. Now the bias stuff is, is really difficult because I Not thought for me. coming <laughs> right, Not right, for well, me. <laughs> okay. So you lay out, I guess, what's your perspective on it then? He was a 0.6 war this year and basically was a liability for the Tigers. So if there's guaranteed money ahead of him, he has to take it because opting out for free agency would be the absolute worst timing ever. Okay, for sure. And that's a that's a really nice, clean way to put it. Now, some other notes I just want to throw in there. He is coming off two of the worst seasons of his career. I yeah. feel he is still very valuable defensively and as like a base runner, if you want to, however you want to attribute that, but there's no doubt. Sorry. I should say, I think that there's still some potential impact there as a player. I think everything has went wrong in Detroit. I think the player should want, want, to leave Detroit in some way. And I am not, I am very vehemently not saying he is going to opt out. I think he opts in, but knowing that the front office turned out, there's been a transition in the front office. The GM is likely motivated to rebuild to some degree that he probably doesn't want the player there. So what I'm sort of laying out here is I think there's motivation for bias to opt in and for Detroit Detroit almost has no leverage, zero leverage in this. They really don't have any leverage in this. But what I'm saying is perhaps Baez opts in, takes the 98 mil, but negotiates with Detroit that they, uh, some trade scenario where Detroit is retaining 
50%, 60% of that contract. Now, if you're looking at Javi Baez as a $10 million player a year, an $8 million player a year, it still might be above actual market value, but I think certain teams would buy low on on that if am i laying that out correctly like i think you are totally right he it's exactly it's exactly my sentiment it's exactly yeah. where i think this is going there's no way he can punt on this money and there's probably no way detroit keeps him even if it's selling absolutely bare bottom basement low dan i did run a projection on him he's an 11 million dollar player so right. to be making 25 million a year is insane but he's going to do it and he's going to make half of it for probably half of it from Detroit and half of it from the Cardinals, right? <laughs> Wherever he's going to end up. But he, I, both of those things to me are going to happen. He's going to opt in because the money's insane and he's going to be traded for pennies on the dollar because I, can I ask you one more question before we move on here? We've talked about Arizona and Baltimore and these teams that have to some degree, the blue Jays a couple of years ago, these teams that have done such great work drafting and signing international players and, and ramping up their their young rosters to a point where they're ready to dive in and be big boys, right? And and latch on to a couple free agents and say, all right, this is it. We're ready to make a postseason run like we've seen Arizona do here. Was there ever a point in time in the past five years where Detroit was actually at that point? Like, I, I, I don't understand these two signings at any point in time over the past five years so the fact that we're in the situation now where they've backslided as an organization and still have this money in front of them seems just like salt on the wound. Do you read that differently? Was were they just hoping that their draft picks would look better the next season because I feel like they were there was never a point where I was excited about any of them. You you are definitely right. I mean, to some degree that's always some um some product of player development, if you will. And yeah. Detroit was flat out, not good at it. Now, you know, like the Matt Manning draft pick, those, those are young high risk pitchers that were taken very early in drafts. If those don't hit, you're already at, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're already way behind the eight ball, if you will. So you're, you are totally right. I, I, I guess I'm just winding it back to two years ago, leading up to the, to the 2022 season, there was excitement about Spencer Torkelson coming in and like players like Riley Green that they had. And there, there was a core that they thought that they could genuinely add around. They thought Baez was a piece that in the short term they could use. Rodriguez was a bona fide, you know, middle of the rotation starter kind of guy. <clears throat> I, I, I don't blame them necessarily for ramping up when they did. I don't think the deals themselves were very good. I mean, we all raised an eyebrow at the Baez deal when it was signed and no nothing has, you know, that hasn't marinated very well, but um, like, I, I don't blame them for going for it, like in a vacuum, but I don't like um, the players that they chose to move forward with, if you will, you know, that's fair. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about an even worse situation. Let's talk about the White Sox who, man, they, I feel like they had it, right? They had a moment. They had everything kind of glued together at the right time, and then it just it just absolutely crumbled from a manager standpoint, from a front office standpoint, from every possible standpoint, certainly injuries. But now there's a couple of options that they have to figure out. Not so much are they going to pay these salaries, Dan, but where, what is the direction of this organization? You know, I mean, 
is this just rip the bandaid off and sell off Andrew Vaughn and all these decent pieces and just kind of start this thing over? Or is it just, uh, you know, s- uh, some minute subtractions and take another splash at free agency and hope you can glue this thing back together? Well, how do you read this team? Yeah, so this is another one I think we're going to get a ton of signal from um, based on these option decisions, That's right? right? A- a- another front office transition here. Um, and to me, they're going to do the same. Was, okay, I, I actually shouldn't have put a blanket on it that early. Uh, part of my offseason process this year has been listening to more team-specific pods and data mm-hmm. in terms of getting more of a local pulse, if you will, than I have in previous seasons. Now, we – our perspective looks at the White Sox and thinks that they re- sh- should be rebuilding or setting up to rebuild. A lot of stuff I listen to sort of hints towards them kind of going for it again next year and or as re- really not next year, but more so with 2025 in mind, but kind of bi- doing like a text, like a two year rebuild that starts this offseason. Now, sure. new general manager, I think again, he takes this year to really make some hard decisions and take a half step back while you sort of have um, the benefit of the doubt as a new front office. But um, I don't know. I I feel like the other people have a different perception than me. Um, But yeah, I do think that they make a tough decision with both of these guys, Tim Anderson, Liam Hendricks. Um, You can throw Mike Clevenger in there as well, who also has a mutual option. Um, But I, I, I think there is a lot of work to be done here. So no, I don't like, like you said, it's not going to be a quick fix. Tim Anderson literally carried the lowest war on this team last year. I mean, I mean, he went from kind of a darling in this franchise to literal rock bottom. So I mean, that club $14 million option is an absolute no. Uh, and I'm, I'm more concerned about how how does he resurrect his career more than anything. The Liam Hendricks one is something we have to talk about, Dan, because it's not really an option. <laughs> the only option is, do we want this player on our roster next year? So I'll, I'll let you answer that. But th- this was constructed as a, as a way to save tax salary by not get fully guaranteeing his third year until they have to. And and the the only way, let me put it this way, it's a fifteen million dollar club option with with a fifteen million dollar buyout. So in other words, he's going to make fifteen million this year, either as a member of the White Sox or as a free agent that he walks into the open market with. And in that case, it becomes deferred uh, deferred payments spread out a little bit to help to save the White Sox cash flow a little bit. But um, this is basically a non-guaranteed guarantee built into the contract for tax purposes. Um, and then Clevenger, I think we both agree, is probably going to opt out himself to get a multi-year extension because he had a pretty nice 2023, actually. But let's just assume Anderson is a no. What happens with Liam Hendricks, who faced his own health issues and, and kind of you know wore himself back to a White Sox uniform? I, I don't know. It seems like a guy they would need if they're not going to rip this Band-Aid off. So do they keep him at $15 million or do they let him walk at $15 million? Yeah, so the Hendricks thing is maybe the decision that I point yeah. to saying we'll get some signal here. Um, and when I said I think 
the general manager makes some tough decisions this year. I, I think one of those decisions is just to eat that contract this year and get it off the books and not have to worry about the deferred money down the line. Now I know it's only going to be like one and a half, one and a half million for the next 10 years, but um, why take that off? Uh, in my opinion, why break that off for yourself when you sort of have like a natural, um, you know, built in year of, of leeway, if you will. So I think that is one that if they choose to spread that out over the next 10 years, that they're then going to reallocate that 15 million in the short term, um, towards starting to rebuild. But I do think that is one, um, in my opinion, they, I, I actually, I think both of us have the same opinion on that, that they just, they, um, they take it on this year rather than deferring it. Um, and we should mention he's dealing with Tommy John recovery as well. So it's not like this well, is a, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. The Red Sox, uh, kind of a weird team. They kind of held the fort up for a while and maybe, uh, out kicked their coverage for a few months and then fell back down to earth. Um, Justin Turner was a big reason for that. Right? This guy, this guy's not going away. He seems to be one of those players that just is a gamer. He was from day one. I'm still mad that the Mets punted on him when they did early in his career because he went on to flourish with the Dodgers really as the same type of player. And he, he continues to do that at age 38 last year for the Red Sox. He's here on a player option, a $13.4 million player option. And you have a question as to whether he's going to, he's going to accept that as a 39 year old third baseman slash DH. Uh, can you extrapolate on that? Yeah. So this one is also very tough for me. I keep saying this about all of these, but um, this one is particularly difficult because again, there's going to be a front office change here. We're unclear on the direction that they're going to want to go. Um, But Justin Turner just had a really incredible, uh, another really solid year in Boston. It's the career year. The most RBIs he's ever had. Uh, the the most uh, the, maybe the most efficient year he's had as a major league baseball player in year thirteen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, in my opinion, this really comes down to whether, sorry, how long he can he plans on playing still. Um, now, if he wants twenty twenty four to be his last year, I think there's at least a chance that he just opts into the player option, um, returns to Boston, and calls it a year. It sounds like him and his family have really enjoyed their time there. It sounds like Boston has also really enjoyed him um, being a part of the organization, especially as a, a veteran mentor for their younger core. Um, I know some people are laughing. Boston has a core, but um, yeah, it sounds like that relationship has worked out very well. So in my opinion, if he just wants to come back on a, or if he just wants to return for one year, it makes sense to just renew the player option, but he certainly can opt out with that six, you know, he has a 50% buyout, 6.7 million. In my opinion, he can totally find 6.7 million on a one year, exceed that on a one year deal um, in the open market. So um, it makes a ton of sense for him to just, um, to just opt out. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, to me, the only thing is, is does this new front office come together and say, all right, we are spinning our wheels here. We're going to bottom out. We're going to, we're going to move every contract of, of any kind of substance. And, and actually Houston Astros, this thing the right way this time, because we've already had our success. We don't need to try to continue to build off of that. We got to start this thing over and do it the right way. 
that's the only world where Justin Turner's not back at 13 and 4.4 million next year, because I, I agree with you. If he's happy, just finish your career doing this. It obviously worked last year with a, an average team. So maybe things will just look a little bit better and you can be happy for the final year of your career. I, I don't know why you wouldn't just take the 13 and change and, and walk into the sunlight, but because, because this is the other part of it, right? If the, if the year is a mess, he's going to get moved in July, you know, to a better situation for himself. So there's always that. So I, I just think this is an opt in and you, and you go ahead forward. Right. And he's made roughly a hundred million dollars in his career. Um, I, I did check that before. And it, I mean, he's not, in my opinion, he's not changing, chasing pennies. So if it's one more year, he wants to go to a contender, et cetera, et cetera. I think the writing is one. He, he, he does have all the leverage here and it's a good position for him to be in. Talk to me about the Cubs, a team you liked a lot, but um, kind of faltered down the stretch. And now there's some gigantic names sitting on this options list. Yeah, and I hate these all for them, really. I mean, these are these are very tough. Um, Marcus Stroman has a $21 million player option, which after June looked like it was 100% he was, he was going to be a free agent. Um, then disaster struck and... Now there are major questions. If anything, it looks unlikely that he would opt out of that for the final year. So major questions there. And then um, we'll lump Kyle Hendricks into that as well. A $16 million club option with a $1.5 million buyout. Um, Man, again, at the beginning, of kind of inverse. At the beginning of the year, even entering the year off of two really bad back-to-back years, Kyle Hendricks looks, looked unlikely, but now that looks like a value to me um, to some degree, even if you know he's a potential trade candidate at some point. So my concern with those two coming back in the fold is that with Justin Steele, Jameson Tyon, Andrew Smiley, who you, ju- you just locked up Tyon and Smiley last year to multi-year deals, you basically have your starting five. Um, which we know you need more. I've been preaching you need more than five pitchers, but you would think that the Cubs want to give a little bit more leeway to some of their younger arms that are coming up through the system. So um, those are hard to me, but it does trend like uh, both of those pitchers might be back. I, I think if Stroman opts in, uh, the Cubs have to move on from Hendricks just from a financial standpoint. That's my read on it. Um, and good news for Kyle Hendricks, probably because he's going to get himself a nice multi-year ex- contract on the on the open market as one of the one of the one of the better pitchers. Not you know, maybe not top five, but top ten ish free agent available starting pitchers. So that's my read. I think Stroman's opt in is a death sentence for Hendricks' club option. But let's talk Bellinger because this is a guy that sort of reinvigorated this entire franchise. Not you know, you know himself included sits with a twelve million dollar mutual option. It gets five and a half if if either side declines this thing. I we we've talked about him quite a bit. You know, there's a world where he's now a twenty million dollar player again. There's a world where he probably needs another small extension just to make sure this isn't just fool's gold. What happened in twenty twenty three? But it's time. You've got to officially now predict this outcome. So what what's happening with Cody Bellinger in twenty twenty four? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely opting out of his end of this, right? I mean, with the $5.5 million buyout, he 
only needs to clear $7 million on a one-year deal. We know he is probably getting more like $20 million on a multi-year deal. So this is by far the easiest decision um, of maybe all option decisions, period. But um, what happens with Bellinger? I don't know. There has to be some tra- there. I think there is almost definitely some traction there with Chicago because they didn't trade him in what would have been a, a deadline market that was like foaming at the mouth, mouth for a player like Cody Bellinger. So I really think there is some traction there to some degree. Now, what exactly is the ceiling on that contract? <laughs> I, I, I really am having trouble with that, but I think he deserves, I mean, he had a hell of a year. He is an MVP caliber player um, when he's healthy. Maybe that's a little bit at this point, maybe that's a little bit uh, hyperbolic, but um, you know what I mean? His ceiling as a player is pretty, high compared to um, others that we'll see on free agency. So, and, and, it, and it's not like, it's not like financially speaking, he went all the way down to the bottom and is now going to go from nothing to everything financially. This was a $17.5 million contract last year, right? I mean, I mean, that's really good money for a one-year showcase deal, which is what this was. And they built in the option kind of just to give themselves some leverage, Chicago did. But they, they, they sort of knew that they had to play nice with this guy, even, even at his very lowest, right? He hit the open market for the first time. He was a former MVP, a batting champ, all the good stuff. And they didn't limp into this. They probably overpaid by a lot based on what other teams were offering Cody Bellinger. Then you're right. They didn't trade him, which another vote of confidence as if to say, hey, we, we really like where this is headed. So I think the Cubs want to keep him If to answer sort of your question mark there. But there's a world where the big boys come swinging on this thing. I mean, I've, I've got him at five for one twelve this half season. That may be generous because of really just this flash in the pan 2023 season. But if the Cubs overpaid to see him this year, somebody's going to overpay to keep him for the next couple of years. Will Chicago be that team? I don't know. I, 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 I tend to think they're in a nickel and dime sort of window right now where they don't want to go too crazy in free agency they, because of what Detroit just went through, honestly, right? They're, they've got kids that have to grow up, Dan. And that process has to happen alongside whatever they do in terms of the, the free agency window. So I, I have a feeling that the Giants and maybe even the Yankees come big swinging with big, big numbers and try to steal this guy away. But if he oh. returns to Chicago, then, you know, I, I think it's a great fit. Oh, this this reeks of the Yankees. Totally. Totally. If, and not only would they pay him, they'd have to pay somebody to take Stanton's contract off the books, which you know they're dying to do, but it would be essentially a $300 million contract of what they're paying Bellinger and then paying to get Stanton off their roster. So um, I'm all for that craziness because that's the chaos we love at baseball come wintertime. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I have too much to add there. I think uh, I think you're right on there. All right, let's move on here. What's your next option to discuss? Um, I think the Padres are pretty interesting. Um, again, not really sexy names, but um, that's a team that I think me and you both think they need to kind of take a half step back here this upcoming offseason. But um, another team that I listen to, and I think a lot of people expect them to sort of press on despite um, – 
couple big names coming off the books this year. So it's yeah, going to be interesting. This, to- I just read this morning, Dan, that they are likely to retain both GM and manager. So it seems like they're going to stay the course in terms of you know who's running the show. Do you think that's going to be the same for the for the roster? Because they're expensive decisions. It's it's kind of like multi year buy ins you have to take on some of these relievers. And Michael Walker had a great year and and probably wants a multi year extension. Seth Lugo, same thing. Um, you know, these aren't the biggest names to discuss on the Padres, right? There's a Blake Snell free agency conversation. There's a Juan Soto uh, two years away with a with a trade slash extension problem. Um, so there's a lot to discuss here at the Padres. We can have an entire pod, and we probably will on this team. But uh, you know, again, the writing's on the wall, and it starts with these option decisions. So if we're talking about essentially seventy five million dollars worth of options here. How do the Padres proceed with this? Is this an area where they probably trim some fat and set themselves up for bigger deals? I I think so. I think it's trending that way. Um, like specifically, I mean, they're all kind of complicated. Um, yeah. All of their options have have some layers to it, but um, like Seth Lugo, in my opinion, that's an easy player opt out. He deserves probably a, at least to double that contract. I think he did enough this year. Um, so he probably leaves. Um, so then when you are zooming out and looking at all of their, you know, if they're going to lose Blake Snell, they're going to lose Seth Lugo. Um, do they look to, to just, you know, pick up that two year cl- club option on Michael Waka? Um, yeah. Do, do they pick up the Nick Martinez deal, which was like yeah. always and still is kind of the weirdest deals out there? I don't really know, but um, they there's going to be moves to made they, to be made. The, there there will be moves they make. Sorry, um, mm-hmm. a, the AJ Preller thing. He was definitely on. He definitely is on the warm seat, if you will. Still, um, despite them saying that he'll return next year, um, I don't see him like trying to throw it in and, um, you know, get behind some sort of half step rebuild, if you will. So also I've, I've been on the, I've been on the books as their farm system is not that good. They've actually taken some nice strides here in the last 12 months, if you will. Um, their top 10 does look a little bit better than I gave it credit for, um, not long ago. So that, you know, AJ Preller, if, if he's, uh, if his back is up against the wall and I'm saying that there are some prospects in their, um, covered <laughs> marinating, then watch out because he might be active and that might be the way they retool. I previously thought there, they were in no man's land in purgatory because, you know, you have all these big contracts with expiring impact players plus no prospects, you you are kind of in no man's land there. But things look a little bit differently now here. Um, once I take, let, a let me put it this so. way: I'm just going to envision that this is what happened, just for for good content purposes. To me, there is nothing more exciting for this winter than the idea, the notion that somebody has sat down AJ Preller and told him, "You have one year." to make this work or you're gone because right. all that's going to do is light a fire under him to make every trade humanly possible in this league and over this winter. So if we thought he was aggressive before the idea that he may be one and done now with this job and doesn't have to give a crap about 2025 could be the most fun scenario ever for us. So let's just, uh, let's keep our eyes glued on San Diego for the next few weeks. 
Oh yeah, and the in the the hidden bomb and all of that is they have some blue ch- absolute blue chip prospects mixed in there. So if he gets control of sending those guys out of town, um, you know, in a go for it mode type of type of year, it will be a long decade for Padres fans. But um, <laughs> let's hope that's not let's hope that's not the case. So <laughs> uh, let's finish on Joey Votto. It seems like he's going to walk away into the sunlight and be a phenomenal TV analyst for this league for a long time. I, I can't imagine the Reds are considering the $20 million club option. So I think we're pretty safe to assume that they'll take a $7 million buyout. But what if they just said, hey, we kind of want you back because we, we like where this thing is headed, but we don't want to just unleash these kids all at once, right? What if we just turn that buyout into a one for $7 million contract instead for 2024? Is that something you, you can wrap your head around? Or do you think he's, he's already done, he's on vacation, and it's a permanent vacation? No, I think there is some traction there, but there would need to be interest from the Reds, in my opinion. Um, I, I think he has shown some interest in returning for another year, but I'm a little bit skeptical if that would come um, in a new uniform. So what I'm trying to say is if the Reds say, hey, we want, we would welcome you back, but not at a $20 million price tag, take your $7 million buyout, and here's another five mil on top, um, you know, we want you to finish your career, mentor the young players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, they're not going to pay him that money, especially considering Christian and Carnosian strand yeah. is basically their future there. Um, you know, Joey Votto can get DH at bats, um, but you don't want to plug him up. You know, it, it, all I'm saying is if you're committing $20 million to a player, he's not just going to be a, a platoon or DH type of player for you. You have to commit something to him. So that's kind of where I I'm like, Stepping on my own point, if you will, but yeah, I I, I lean with you. <laughs> I'm voting hard for him not to sign somewhere else. Uh, this is such a dying yeah. thing in sports. You're telling me that we have a guy who's been with one organization for 16 years. Please do not do a one-year deal with the Dodgers just to do it. Please, I'm begging and, you, Joey Votto, don't do it. And typically, uh, at one point in this, you know, as I thought through the situation, I talked myself into, well, maybe he just wants to go to a contender and try and win a world series. The Reds might be the contender in that division. So why go anywhere where you can stay home? You can be a part of uh, a nice young core and then hopefully exciting. Yeah, can he be the Evan Longoria to the Arizona Diamondbacks right now? Right? Yeah. Except staying in your own, you know, the, the yeah. team you played with your whole career. So yeah, I like that. I think, there's a really good shot that he's back with them if he wants to play and if they want him back in any degree. Other than that, I'll be excited um, if he does take on some sort of national role um, with baseball. So, All right. There's a piece on spotrate.com right now called Predicting Every 2024 Major League Baseball Option Decision. Dan and I collaborated on it. Uh, we will try to update that as news comes in, as some of these players maybe are released out of their option. It's certainly going to be the case in some instances. But there's plenty more to read. We'll make sure this podcast is attached to it. And uh, lots more to get to. I'm working on Major League Baseball trade candidates. You're working on some Rule 5 stuff and some 40-man stuff for 2024. By the way, we have officially flipped the switch on SpotTrack to 2024 for the baseball stuff. So you are looking at next year's projections in terms of arbitration and 40-man rosters and things like that. So we're sort of ahead of the eight ball here. And we're going to continue to push that content. So good stuff from you, Dan. Keep it up. Thanks, Mike. See you.